Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our past may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Welcome to another interview episode. I am deeply grateful to have you with us today. Before we start, I want to ask if you are currently holding on to a belief that healing is hard, challenging, and expensive, and that it takes years of work. Well, if this is your current truth, I hope together this next guest and I can provide you with some relief that it doesn't always have to be this way. There are many different modalities and methods of healing that can start to shift your relationship with food and your body right away. Today, I have a special guest with an incredible background who is going to offer some insights on healing and the various types of healing modalities that can help you to not only heal, but thrive. Morgan Yakis is a 20-year fashion veteran, curating vintage inspiration for many influential individuals and previously owned a fashion store in New York City for nine years. Her natural departure from fashion gave her her truest calling as a human cartographer and bi-coastal wellness expert who works with clients around the world, facilitating active meditation, modern integrative hypnosis, and teaching NLP. She's been listed top five practitioners by Vogue to the fashion world and has been featured in Elle, Well and Good, Cosmo, among many others. I know you're probably just as curious as I am to jump into her amazing work. So let's get this interview started. Welcome to another episode of the Awesome Inside Out podcast. I am so, so excited to introduce Morgan. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thank you so, so much for being here. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am just in awe of your work, as you know. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Was it a couple of years ago? Mm -hmm. So interesting story. So I was on a call with my coach and I was sharing with her how I was having these anxiety attacks and these panic attacks about going over to Ethiopia on this event for Charity Water. So Charity Water was hosting us and I had been involved with this organization for quite a time. And I really wanted to go on this experience where we got to meet people that we had basically helped get clean water for. And I remember going into these panic attacks about going over to Ethiopia and being in cars in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, because of a past experience with getting in a car accident in Jamaica. And my coach at the time was saying to me, well, this is something that you can overcome. You don't have to cancel your trip. And I was like, how, how do I do this? Like, it feels so overwhelming to me to even think about getting on a plane to go on this trip. And she said, find someone who works with NLP and hypnosis. And at the exact same moment, my husband texted me a link to your event at the Soho House. And I was like, this is the most synchronistic experience I've ever had, probably <laughs> getting a coach within literally a moment. So then I <laughs> that and we started working together and I was able to go on that trip, which was so profound and so incredible. I didn't have any anxiety. I didn't have any attacks while I was there. It was a beautiful experience. And I'm so grateful that I got to go because I got to see the work that I did. And it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, this woo-woo work that people call it, right? The reprogramming of the mind and the mm-hmm. hypnosis and the NLP and all these things that I've known for a very long time, but maybe I didn't have the courage or maybe the awareness to really step into this work before was something that completely transformed my life. And since then, we've been working together on a series of other things, which we can dive into later. But I'm so grateful for you because of <laughs> the work we've done and I, all the clients of mine that you've been working with and the people from our community. And so For those of you listening that might not know about your story and how you got into this work and how you got into a place where you're transforming people's lives through mindset shifts and belief systems and all of the things that you do, can you take us back to when you were working in fashion and how this kind of came to be? Yeah, it's a really long story. So I have to give you the short version. I was working in fashion for 20 years. So I always say that I'm recovering, (laughs) recovering fashionista. 
And it's taken me a couple of years to recover. But when I started doing this work, just studying it and getting interested in it, it really started to change my life in a profound way. I actually started by having a past life regression. And I went to go study with Brian Weiss, who wrote a book called Many Lives, Many Masters, and trains people in past life regression. So I first did a workshop with him and then went back for the training and was so in awe of how quickly this work can help and change people. Mm -hmm. And so I found that through hypnosis and the trance state that you could really shift things that you had been carrying for so long because you're accessing your subconscious mind where all the files are. So I started getting interested in learning more about this. And while I used to own a store called Number 6 in New York, and we had clothing and clogs and European designers, I also was a stylist for many years and I did inspiration for designers. So I did a lot of things in the fashion world and I was really ready and looking for to do something else. I really wanted to help people. It happened very, very naturally. I just started training on the weekends and at night. And I realized that I felt better when I was around that community and when I was doing that work that I felt more like myself than I had ever felt. And I know that there are actually a lot of people transitioning out of fashion. It's very interesting. I don't necessarily have an explanation for this. If you do, I would love to hear it, but into wellness and really wanting to help people. And I just started working with clients on the side while I still had my business. And um, because I had taken a health coaching course at IIN and I was studying herbs, I was becoming a green and Chinese, mostly green herbalist, but I am first in Chinese herbs. And I just kept going down the rabbit hole. It was, I wasn't, you know, I had been to so many psychics in my life. And over the years, and no one ever said to me, you will become a hypnotist. <laughs> you will learn NLP. You'll be working with large groups of people or people one-on-one -on -one and having this practice. So it was really a surprise to me. And I started making these herbal tonics many years ago, and that really changed me as well. So it was like this whole mind and body shift of getting into herbs and learning about the mind. And then I started working with NLP. And NLP is neurolinguistic programming, which is how we program ourselves with words and images and audio loop. And we're always self-programming. So when I started doing the NLP, that it really sped up all the work that I was doing because it meant that I didn't have to necessarily put someone into a deeper state to help them make a change. All we needed to do was to light up the neural networks in the brain that holds the file and then start to resource that and change the perspective that's related to that and creates a new thing in its place, hmm. which is, sounds weird, but actually it's, there's a very specific formula that if everyone knew this formula, it would be so easy for us to really feel that we're in control of our thinking. So it's really about resourcing something that's frozen and creating a new version of how we want it to be, because without that, it's very hard for the brain to move forward. So once I started really learning this and implementing my work, it just started to go so fast. I ended up leaving my business and starting to work with clients and teaching workshops. And I had a lot of support from friends, friends that had been in fashion that were actually doing wellness and other kinds of friends, new friends, because it's easy to feel that, oh, I'm not ready. You know, I've been doing this other thing for 20 years. But mm. once I started doing the work, it was like, oh my God, people's lives are changing in just one or two sessions. Like, this is crazy. So I just kept going down the rabbit hole. And here I am five years later with a practice where I work with clients around the world. Most of the time, it's New York and LA just going back and forth. But I travel to Europe and also I work with clients via video anywhere. So it's really been quite amazing to see the transformation of clients and also people that come to the group workshops. It's really incredible. You wouldn't think that coming to a group workshop and being there for two hours and part of that two hours having maybe like a 25 or 30 minute deep meditation, which is essentially hypnosis, mm -hmm. that can really change. I've done like money and success workshops where clients have come. People would talk about how they hadn't booked a job in a certain amount of time where they had projects that weren't coming through for them. And as soon as they turned on the phone, 
there was a few people I remember in, in a couple of different workshops, as soon as they turned on their phone, people were texting them about work. Even the next day, the next week, I had clients come back to me and say, oh my God, I'm so stressed out now. <laughs> I actually need a session to relax because now I'm working so much. So it's really shifting the field right. in terms of how, what our perspective is and creating a future vision of what it is that we want to do. And so that's a little bit about the work that I do and why I started doing it. You can take the girl out of fashion, but you can't take the fashion out of the girl. So there's definitely, yeah, it's still a part of me that is really loves, loves fashion and clothing and loves to get dressed up and loves to support the, the idea of just dressing how you want to dress mm -hmm. to be yourself. Right. So yeah, that's the short version. <laughs> I love that. And I love that you share that because I think so often I get asked, well, are you not recommending buying designer clothes or looking beautiful or wearing makeup or getting your hair done? And I'm like, no, I'm not saying not to do those things. But the self-love, the inner worth, those things have to come from within versus the external. And for me, yes. that was the shift for me. We're coming from fashion and moving into this space of recognizing all of the things from the outside that I'm chasing. Yeah. It was like, if I go get my hair done, I'll get a hit of the dopamine. I'll get a hit of the feel, but, the moment, but then I'll go home and I'll feel bad again. And I had to recognize that my internal happiness wasn't driven by those things yet. Those things are okay to have as a reflection of who you are. And that was very, a very different approach that took a long time for me to really embody. So I'm so happy you said that. That's so incredible. And I think so, that I answer a lot of questions. Would you say that your style has evolved as you've been doing this work or your the way that you present yourself to the world? Yeah, I think I've gone through different expressions of who I am based again on how I feel. And I see myself where I maybe I'm not as confident or I feel my lack of self-worth and I'll be wearing my pajamas and yoga clothes. And I'm like, what's happening internally, right? For several days. And then I'm like, okay, well, why don't I feel confident to wear that dress again? Why don't I feel beautiful and able to wear a different set of heels or whatever the case may be. But I look at how I'm embodying my internal beliefs and it's reflection of my fashion and what I'm wearing and how I'm behaving and how I'm showing up for the world and so forth. And when you start to have that awareness, you can actually reverse engineer it, I think, and see that wow, I'm not feeling my best right now. And this is how I'm showing up. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the definitely the inward, what's going on inside is outside is definitely a manifestation of that. And you can even see it in, in the face, in the skin, in the eyes, not only in the clothes, but if someone isn't feeling good, right, you can see that it's a whole energetic feeling that goes on when you look at someone or you connect in with them. And you can tell if they're having a good day or not having a good day, right? But it's all an outward manifestation. And I love that you said that because I know for me, and I've actually probably not really even ever said this out loud, but the idea of dressing sometimes in certain things that I want to wear sometimes feels like too loud or too much, or I might be attracting too much attention if I'm wearing a specific thing and I just want to be in a certain place. Like I just want to kind of move through a room and feel good and relaxed, right? Some people want to draw attention, right? And so it's really interesting how clothes, I've been thinking about this a lot, how the thoughts can manifest into your clothing. And I think this is an important thing that isn't always talked about. Right. Because if you're wearing black, that's very protective. If you're wearing red, it's look at me, I want to be seen, or I'm just bright and happy, right? It can mean all these different things and how people perceive us. Right. It's a whole nother layer of that. So if you're wearing one thing versus another, people might perceive you in a different kind of way, even though you're exactly the same. But then also your clothes can change the way that you feel, right? Yeah. So whether you feel comfortable or uncomfortable or confident or not confident. So I think it's important to feel comfortable in the clothing or what you're putting out into the world. But I've had clients who have had an amazing transformation of not feeling confident and not being able to express what's inside on the outside. And after working together, they're like, oh my God, I wore this thing that's been in the back of my closet and people started complimenting me and I started to feel really confident. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of scary to step out and to be wearing that or to feel vulnerable because it can make you feel vulnerable, right? Yeah. 
it's really fascinating how that your internal mind, how it affects your outside manifestation and how people respond to you. you know? Yeah. And I think it's really important to also recognize like, what would you do if you didn't have the stories of everyone else telling you not to do that? What would you wear? How would you express yourself? Right. This is an amazing question. And I think this is a question we can ask ourselves every day. Like if this thing wasn't there, how would I be responding? Yeah. And what are some tools or tips or how do you walk your clients through developing that inner confidence? I know that it's, it's taken me a long time. And for example, when I went to go buy my wedding dress, I went alone because I've understood from the research, you pick up on cues and you pick up on the feelings and the emotions of who's around and what's in your environment. And I had a belief in my own mind, whether it was accurate or not at the moment, but in the moment I had this belief that going by myself and getting to feel the dress and feel what it felt like for me and connecting to that was one of the biggest and best decisions I could make because I wanted to feel good in my dress and I didn't want to have other external people impacting my decision for that day. And that took me a long time to get to because probably four years ago, I would have wanted everyone else's opinions and I would have wanted a group of girls to go with me and so forth. And this is just something that I chose myself to do. It's taken me a long time to build that confidence to say like, I could walk out with whatever I have on and really not care what other people are thinking because I have the trust in myself that I feel confident and beautiful and worthy of this experience and this dress and so forth. So what do you do to get people to that place where they feel and can embody this confidence day in, day out, whether it's in their relationship, their careers, with food, with movement, making these decisions from their own truth versus other people and external and the external and programs that they're running that might not have started because of a thought that they had. It it may have started because they had a friend in school who was really thin or was already, I've had clients where they've had friends at 12 years old where that friend was dieting and they thought they should start dieting. And then their whole vision of themselves changed. I've had clients, you know, whose parents have been incredibly negative about their body image or they've restricted them with food, or they've had a partner that has said certain things to them or made them feel a certain way. So I find that actually a lot of the time, it's actually something I call it, someone else has installed that program in us. A lot to do when it comes with body confidence. It can be because of that, but it also can be because of a trauma, a traumatic experience as well, like maybe sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. physical abuse, emotional abuse, right? because it's a way that we can control ourselves and our body. It's what we have autonomy over. So one of the ways that I work with clients to work around that, I mean, there's many different ways, but two specific things that come to mind are, is that the person can start to see themselves being confident and feeling good in in different situations that they might be worried about. So let's say I'm going to a party and I'm worried about seeing certain people, or maybe there's work people there, maybe there's social people, maybe there's a guy there. If I'm thinking so much about what I'm going to wear, and then I start to really stress myself out, right? Because I feel not confident about just being me and stepping out and going to that event, let's say. I can then start to see myself being confident, wearing what I want to wear in that situation and getting to the end of it. And even getting in there, like floating into that version of me while it's happening and being there at the party and feeling really confident and then getting to the end of it and seeing yourself go on. So what that does is it, in the moment when you are worried and on the loop about these confidence issues, it it could be anything. These kind of things can apply to any issue essentially that you have, especially when it's future related. So when it's happening, the neural networks in the brain are lit up, which means that that file is open. So by putting something else in there, like a positive outcome, it puts something new on the neural network, which is a lot more positive, and it interrupts the old pattern. And so by doing that, the person can start to reference themselves in a different way, because when they think about themselves the next time, they reference the positive thing that they just saw themselves doing, or Let's say you have actually done the referencing, seen yourself be confident in a situation, getting to the end of it, your brain says, oh, that was fine. It was totally great. I could do that again. 
And so it starts to build a new file over the old one. And then you can start to really create a sense of confidence, but it takes work and it does take time because it's every situation, every hour, every thought has to be essentially, this is when you're doing the cognitive work on your own. I mean, when I work with clients, I help them and it's the more deeper level shift and then they do this work on their own. But it's a really good way to start to interrupt any pattern in even confidence by showing yourself positive outcomes. That's just so key because if you're showing yourself negative outcomes, the brain will follow that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with a client, even let's say like public speaking or getting married or some public kind of situation where the client has created instantly a negative outcome about how it's going to be. So what happens is the body and the mind goes, oh, that's what you want me to do. So that's how I'm going to behave. And that's how I'm going to think and feel every time I think about that. So what happens is, is then we have a negative feeling which gets anchored into the body. And then the body feels a certain way every time we think about that loop. Oh, I'm thinking about going to that public event or that I'm thinking about public speaking. Oh, that doesn't feel good. There's always a feeling that goes with it in the body. So if you can interrupt that, especially early on and put a positive outcome in there, the brain will follow the positive outcome. It's a, I call it like a pre-gaming movie. So it's like the brain sees it and goes, oh, that's when I know what to do. And you have to work not as hard in a situation because your brain has already seen what you want it to do. So you're not overthinking when it's happening as much as you might have when you feel negative. And when you don't feel good and you don't feel confident, everything starts to close down, right? Everything narrows. You start to get on a loop. You can't be present with people. It's hard to feel good in your body. Even if that is happening in a moment, it's just breathing and really being aware of your body, being aware of your feet on the floor, even just walking away for a minute and coming back. I mean, obviously, if you're on a stage and for talking in front of people, you can't do that. But if you're at a party or a lunch or a meeting, you can certainly do something like that. That will interrupt the state. So really positive outcomes. And the other thing which we talked about was when you're in that state and you're feeling that negative feeling is to think about the you that feels that way. So if using this example we've been talking about, if I feel nervous about going somewhere, let's say not confident, if I think about the me that feels that way, that me might be in black and white, very small, hunched over, not looking good. The minute that you resource that version of you, the brain can say, oh, that looks good. Like I feel better. Now, when I think about myself in those situations, because it's referencing that version of us in the situation. So imagine if you had been referencing it as black and white and small and not worthy. I mean, that's how you would feel. And that self-image is related to probably multiple situations and people. It gets anchored in. So once you resource that and change that, it can change how you move through the world. And this is something people can do on their own. You can just float in resources into that you, just change things about that internal image and then see that you that's resourced moving through the world and doing the thing that you want to do. And when you reference resource, which I love both of these techniques because I've used both of them with you, but just Mm -hmm. when you reference resource and let's say you're resourcing for that version of you, what would that look like? So if I, let's say I was nervous about, let's say, giving a talk in front of a bunch of people, me personally, right? If I actually got into the state of being nervous and then I think to myself, okay, what is the me that when I feel this way, how does that me look? So first thing might see a version of myself like looking, let's say I'm just making this up, but looking clumsy on stage, or I'm not, my words aren't coming out the way that I want them to, or I'm not standing in a certain way. What I would do is I would actually change something about that. I'd turn up all the color and all the brightness, and then I would float in all the things that I think that I would need. So I would need some confidence and I would need to feel like I looked good. And I would maybe need to feel that I knew what I was talking about, essentially. 
or that people were engaged and they were interested in what I was saying. So it's giving that you all the things that it doesn't have in that moment. And then I would step into that and actually try it on and move through that situation and feel what it's like to be resourced and be up there talking and then feel myself getting to the end of that situation. When you do that, the brain goes, oh, it's totally fine. It's nothing bad is going to happen. That's why it's really good to see positive outcomes because the brain knows that it's safe. And that's why a lot of times it runs these patterns because it just wants to be safe. So it thinks that if it runs the negative, it will keep it safe, keep the body and the mind safe. But that's actually not necessarily true in most situations. And the other thing is that the conscious mind, this is my feeling about just from doing this work and the things that I've read and studied is that the conscious mind and the subconscious mind aren't necessarily communicating. So you have these files, which are the hard drive running on the subconscious. And then you have the conscious mind going, what's going on? Why is this 2.0 still running when I'm 5.0? And so sometimes when you look at these self-images, as we've been talking about, sometimes the self-image of being 10 years old might come up or being 15 or being 25. Because when we're in certain situations, we may be responding as if we're 25 or we're 15 or we're five years old because something was frozen in time and we've frozen a version of ourselves. And these internal images are absolutely real. It's how the brain knows to respond in a certain way. It's where it gets its information from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I'm flashing back to our work. So some background. So I developed sickness called breast implant illness, which isn't a medical diagnosis, but it is a sickness that has been recognized by thousands of women. And when I was going into surgery, I think it was a couple months out, I called you and I said, I'm having anxiety again about yeah. going into surgery and what could happen. And when I really faced the fear of what was my fear, the fear was death, but that was what mine was attaching to. I couldn't see any other option other than That's right. I might die in the surgery. I might never wake up. What if my family is left without me? Well, I need to get all of these things in order because... Right. And of course, if that's what you're referencing, I mean, it's the minute you think about that, you're going to feel awful. And then every time you think about that, there's a whole feeling that happens in your body, right? And I, it can't be good if you think you're going to die on an operating table, right? Yeah. So the work that we did was really working through that and visualizing a completely different outcome through a series of sessions, but then also the work at home for me was taking a pen and drawing the surgery from start to finish, stick mm. fingers, what it's going to be, how it's going to happen. Like, I'm going to see my, you know, I was drawing my husband at the end with like my <laughs> I love that. Worst draw. I'm going to use that. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> and, he, and he like found my pictures and he was like, this is hilarious. And I'm like, well, this is how the surgery is going to go. And I saw like my anesthesiologist and he was really happy and he was dancing and all these things. And <laughs> and visualizing over and over because my mind originally was operating from survival. Like if you go into this, you're going to die because you don't know any other way you, you've only been under. Right. And that's the thing also is that if you are having first time experiences also, that can be an issue too, especially if there's situations where we, there's possibility of something bad happening. Like you were talking about the Ethiopia trip, right? You hadn't done that before. So your brain didn't know what to do. So it basically, what it does is it pulls up old files and it references those old files. So we worked, we, we had to change those old files. But for this situation, a lot of it was changing future reference points, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And to not go into, for me, it was this state of anxiety, fight or flight, that if I went into this, mm -hmm. this would be the outcome. And it is profound because the research even shows that when you do visualization and you do this work, your immune system increases, you heal much faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of bleeding. Like there's all of these things that are actually scientific and have been researched to have profound impact on surgery and so forth. And so if we're having that profound of an impact on surgery, can you imagine what it does to our day-to-day -day life? Yes. It's just by doing <laughs> okay, well, I'm no longer going to reach for the macaroni and cheese, which brought me comfort yeah. as a child because that's my escape and my survival from my mom screaming or my dad screaming or them fighting, right. whatever the case may be. But now I'm going to operate from a different place where that's no longer 
needed. And so that's where I see this work coming in quite a bit. I just did a podcast with Mordecai, who's also your client, who was talking about this work for himself. It really started to shift these habits and behaviors for food and body image and so forth. And I know you do a lot of work with this as well. And so if someone was in a place where they're saying, okay, I have these habits, right? Like these habits that we have every day, whether it's waking up and brushing our teeth, going to the fridge and getting the same food every morning, lunch, dinner. And we have these sort of experiences that have become part of our life and make us feel safe. And we're ready to start changing those, let's say for food, movement, lifestyle changes that actually will impact our health and well-being. How do you recommend changing those habits and starting to really look at them and saying, are they serving me? Are they not serving me? How do you work with people around this sort of specific topic? So usually when I work with the client, It can be like, we usually start with three sessions, but sometimes it can be a couple more or there's like a maintenance that happens. But I do that because there are emotional triggers usually that go along with, you know, if we're talking about specifically eating stuff, Mm -hmm. there are emotional triggers that come with that because the brain always knows when it's time to run a pattern. Mm -hmm. So it could be if you're home or bored, I've had clients who would wake up in the middle of the night and binge eat. Had clients who think they're binge eating, but they're not really binge eating and they're actually in really good shape that it's actually just a perception of wanting to look and feel a certain way. I've had clients who eat when they're emotionally triggered. So a lot of times doing this work is working on the things that are actually triggering the person because sometimes it's related to stress that's happening. In fact, actually a lot of times around this pattern or with other people in our lives or whether it it could be our kids or our partners or work that could be triggering it every time we think about those people. And it's a lot of times these cravings can be shifted with people on their own. They work on their own after we do this work. And that's a big part of it is cognitively interrupting the pattern. So you were talking about wanting to waking up and going to the fridge and eating a certain type of food that maybe you might not want to be eating. A really good way to start to shift this is to interrupt that pattern, is to do something different every time. The brain knows when it's time to start doing that. Another thing is to ask yourself, what is it that I need in this moment? Why is it that I'm wanting this? How am I feeling right now? It's actually like taking a step back having a glass of water, going for a walk. I mean, obviously it's not that easy. It's a repetitive cognitive practice that we have to do by interrupting the pattern and putting something new in. But a lot of times these things are fueled from other things that are happening in our lives or issues that are, as I say, like the file is open and it's still running, whether it's an issue from years ago, something that happened and not feeling confident. Starting to see positive outcomes. Again, it could be, I just had a client recently who we had worked on food stuff and she was good for a year. We only actually did one session. Now something big has happened in her life and very, very big life change and the pattern shifted. But then there was much more of an awareness than before why that might be happening. And then it's easy to shift back after that. So it's also getting good at understanding your patterns. And using what I was talking about before, the self-image. So what's happening when you feel that way? What is that you that feels that way, that wants to binge or wants to eat shitty food? What's happening with that version of you? And seeing that you can shift a lot because we might not like what we're seeing. And when we're seeing it in a different perspective, as opposed to outside of ourselves, it really shifts the internal perspective because we never see ourselves doing it. We only see ourselves internally. So another thing that I ask clients to do is to zoom it out. So let's say the food isn't in front of them and they think about going and having a piece of cake or a chocolate bar or a cookie, zooming that thing out and putting it somewhere else. It can be really, really helpful in making it really small. I also suggest that people explode it because it's just ridiculous and funny. So if you zoom it out and explode it into space, I mean, that thing isn't that interesting. So one of the things that happens in the brain is that every time we think about, oh, I want that chocolate bar, 
you actually see the image of the chocolate bar on a subconscious level. So you want it even more. Even if you tell yourself, I shouldn't have that thing. I shouldn't have that chocolate bar. I don't want to have it, let's say. Anytime you use a contraction, the brain actually hears to do it because it doesn't know how to process contractions. So when a lot of people say, I shouldn't do that. And so their brain actually hears should and do it. So refraining from reprimanding yourself is also a good thing. And these kind of things, it's one day at a time. So people go on these diets and they say, oh, I'm not going to have any sugar. I'm not going to have any gluten. And that's good if you can do that. But it also creates a, a structure where you actually start reprimanding yourself if you cheat. So I really think one day at a time, a couple hours at a time is really the way to go. Because when you know that like you're just focusing on the present, right? You're not setting this whole structure up for yourself. Well, I'm not going to do this for five days. What if you fall off the wagon? then you reprimand yourself and you go, oh, this isn't working, right? So it's the same thing with working out and getting into physical shape is the best way to do that. Like when clients say, oh, I'm going to work out four times a week. And it's like, but if you don't do that, then you're going to end up reprimanding yourself. So it's really just saying, okay, I'm just going to do this for an hour tomorrow. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning or I'm going to do it today. Actually, if you have an overarching theme, which is health and wellness, in terms of your life, you can then start to bring that in to everything that you're doing. So you might just take the stairs or you might order the salad instead of having a a basket of bread or whatever it might be. Because themes actually can work a lot better than very specific goals for long periods of time, because those goals might change. And it's really important that the brain updates those goals because you might say, oh, I want to do Pilates five days a week. You might get to Pilates and you might not like it anymore. And you might want to run or do something else. But because you've decided that, that becomes a very rigid practice and it can't be flexible. So it is important to be flexible, especially with exercise and to try different things. I think a lot of people feel that someone's told them they have to run or they have to do a certain regime, but that might actually not work for you. And it's really finding the thing that works for your body. I know for me, I love walking. I love bike riding. I love playing tennis. I don't necessarily like being in a gym and I don't necessarily feel good when I'm doing that. So I don't feel that I'm getting the benefits that I need when I'm outside and walking around. That feels great to me. And I can see all the things that are happening or go walk on the beach or in the woods or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about in terms of being, having a a very strong structure in terms of goals, in terms of food and exercise? I mean, with every client I've ever tracked, I've never seen that taking away things and the deprivation and the structure, like the rigid, rigid structure has worked ever. So I love, love, love what you're saying. And I'm in such agreement that the deprivation just won't work because when we are focused on what we can't have, we want it. And so... Because that's because our brain is seeing it, (laughs) right? Like you're like, oh, I I can't have that thing. And the image comes up. So that's what I usually tell people is like, zoom that image out. It really does help. I see people's bodies, they just go, oh, you can relax, right? Because that thing is right on top of you. Yeah. in your mind. It's big. It's usually yeah. pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And I'm in such agreement of themes as well. And so with the work that I do, it's what is your why? Why do you want to be healthy? Why do you want to be, how do you want to focus on well-being? And from that, your decisions are driven from that theme versus I have to do this for a certain number of pounds that I want to lose in this amount of time, which then when we reach it, then we don't, the goal is met. So then what? right? Or if we, right. Right, then what? And if we don't have an overarching theme that drives our life, we reach the goal. And then that's why a lot of people gain the weight back or they don't feel worthy of that. Right. Because you know what, you know why that is, which is so interesting. I'm so glad you brought this up. And this has to do with everything is because they don't know to create new goals. Because they've reached their goal, they don't, you have to set new goals or new, new things that you want to do, right? Go to the next level. Yeah. And I love that you shared about your client that you know, had felt really great for a year and then had this experience and had fallen back on some old patterns and different parts of the brain were being activated from a place of survival. And so was changing her habits and her behaviors and so forth because 
I even notice in myself and I teach this work, this is something I teach. And yet I still find myself having moments where I have to pull out the toolbox where I come to you, work with my other coaches. And I'm like, wow, something really major happened in my life. Something shifted. I'm moving into a new home. I'm seeing the patterns resurface. And I think we have to give ourselves permission to let go of the guilt and shame around that and say, I'm just a work in process. In any moment, things can resurface and it's okay. And I have access to tools and resources that are going to help me move through it versus, which I see a lot of clients doing, and I did for many, many years, which was going into the shame and guilt. Oh, I thought this was healed. I thought I had fixed this. I'm never going to be perfect, which drives more guilt and shame. There is no perfection. Perfection is imperfection and everything is always moving and changing around us. So I think that allowing things to update and change is in any part of our lives is really um, important. Yeah. I mean, I've seen amazing things with clients. I had one client who came to me and said, I gained a hundred pounds. I know exactly why this is. And it was an emotional trauma that had happened and it was a specific period of time. And we worked on this trauma, this experience by shifting it and shifting her perspective about it. And the next day she woke up and she was started exercising and eating how she wanted to eat and really felt excited about that. And I think she lost like 20 pounds in the first month Mm -hmm. and continued to, I mean, that is a lot of weight. And I had another client who we did, it was two or three sessions and she was eating a lot of late night food and drinking. And it was because she wasn't necessarily happy with some things that were happening, but also equally, it could just be an awareness, like knowing that when you eat late or when you drink, it's going to make you gain weight. Some people don't necessarily have that awareness or they, it's a compounded effect, right? Before you know it, you're, have gained all this weight and you're not feeling good essentially. So she started walking to work after the session doing more exercise, eating, not eating late at night, having minimal drinks. And in less than a month, she went down like two sizes. But one of the things that I do find that's an issue is that people, they think they have to be on a diet in order to lose weight or to change these patterns. And then they might come to me and say, I want to lose X amount of pounds. And the first thing I'll say to them is actually yes, this is important and I'm going to write this down and we're going to check in on this. But the most important thing is that your body is in balance and that your body is exactly the weight that it needs to be for your structure. I mean, we don't know what the perfect weight is for us. I mean, consciously, right? We might not know that, but our body knows. So when we can actually say, okay, I'm going to let my body get to where it needs to be, where a healthy place is. That's a whole different story that you create around food because then you're not restricting maybe in the way. And it's really everything in moderation. Like, of course, people are like, well, I can't have any gluten or sugar. But of course you could have, if you're eating well, you can have a little bit of piece of cake every once in a while or have a piece of chocolate. Just don't eat the whole bar, you know? (laughs) Actually, I've been working with Mickey Boardman from Paper Magazine, and he's about to actually write an article for his column, Fat and All That. And it's very interesting based on some of the work that he's done. He's been in fashion for many, many years. And he really felt that once he lost the weight, he felt like this external feeling of feeling that people were telling him that he looked so good, but he was the same person inside. And he felt that the issue of people telling him how good he looked was a conflict from with who he actually was because he wasn't doing this so that he could get complimented. He was, you know, essentially you're doing it so that you can, it's about health. It's not really about how you look and how people respond to you. It should be for health. So it was really interesting working on balancing that with him was very cool and doing some other things of just really working on the confidence of all of that and the body image, right? I was helping him to update his body image and how he feels about himself. So it's very cool that and anybody who is interested in that should follow his column because he talks to all different kinds of people and celebrities and stuff like that about their view on weight. Everyone, I feel like, struggles with it in some form or another. It's it's an epidemic. Yeah, yeah it really is. And how do we get to a place where internally, this was a thing for myself specifically, like if I gain, lose, wherever I am, I have, 
I have an internal peace. I have an internal joy. I get to choose in every moment how I feel, mm-hmm. what the scale says or a measuring tape or so forth. And I don't even own a scale anymore, a measuring tape, because it's something that, again, I'm, I keep coming back to. I get to make this choice, regardless of how I wake up and if my jeans fit or they don't fit today. Like I get to make a choice if I feel good in my body and the internal process. And I believe through this work, and really activating those new patterns that it gives you that freedom, right? It gives you the ability to walk past a mirror and still have confidence and see your reflection on a subway and get your picture taken and not have to worry and stress like, oh my gosh, is this picture going to go up? But I love myself. It doesn't matter what the vote, how the picture is. Yeah. I had a client recently who was, didn't feel comfortable in photos because of the, the way that she looks versus how she had looked essentially. And after she had an engagement party and saw the photos after we had done a session and she said to me, oh yeah, it was, I looked great. I wasn't picking apart how I looked anymore. And that was like so great for me to hear because it means that, you know, you can look at yourself in the mirror and really feel good about yourself in a different kind of way. It is, it's true. It's very much accepting yourself the way that you are now. Okay, sure. You might want to lose weight or you might want to look different, but how about if you just were to accept where you are now, right? And then know that things are going to change. And I think that a lot of times we think, oh, when it's like this, I will feel like that. And we're always looking for the feeling, essentially, not the thing. So it's like when I am fit, I'll feel confident. It's like, well, how can you bring in the confidence into now mm-hmm. as opposed to in the future? It's, it's not about the future because your body is in the here and now. And another interesting thing that I, I wanted to bring up about the self-image is that a lot of times people will say, oh, I looked great five years ago, or I looked great two years ago, or even in my 20s, whenever it was. And they're ref- constantly referencing this old version of themselves. The problem is you can never go back to that version because that's in the past and your body is in the now and your body is always changing. So I do always encourage people to start to see a future healthy version of themselves being in balance and the weight that they want to be and looking and feeling good and using that as the reference point. If we create that, a lot of times when there's when there's body issues, I mean, this can relate to any pattern really, but if you don't know how you want it to be or how it should look in the future and you're putting in something negative, your brain and your body is going to go in negative direction. So if you're seeing yourself not feeling good, being overweight in the future, it's going to be very hard for you to be motivated to exercise or to eat right. So it's starting to see yourself eating right, exercising and that it looks good, but also how it might look three months from now when you're doing that every day and holding that future image of you in your mind, that is really motivating for people. I mean, I even do it for myself to get myself to exercise. Yeah, I've caught myself in some of the stories. I had a client the other day, I was at her home and she said, oh, it was a a new client. She was like, oh, well, my gym hasn't been used since for years. Now that I'm a mom, like I never go to my gym or use it or so Mm -hmm. forth. She's basically stating that at this point in her life, it was over for her to ever go back and use Mm -hmm. it. Why don't we change that mindset? Like what is the new upgraded version of that? And how do we create a new thought process around the fact that you get to be selfish. You get to go use your gym. You get to have this time for yourself. You get to be worthy of having health and well-being at this age with these children. And so I think we get stuck in these patterns and a lot of them are media conditioning, right? A lot of them are social conditioning and so forth that have basically told us, well, at this age, it's over. At this time, it's over. This is, Mm -hmm. but what's so interesting, like even with the metabolism belief that our metabolism slows down, our metabolism is only slowing down like by like, 2% 2% every decade or something crazy like that. So we're holding on to these stories as truth, but yet they're not really accurate, right? So we're using, well, my doctor says it's just normal to age. It's normal to feel this way. It's normal to not have energy in the morning. It's normal for my metabolism to right. versus the, well, why don't I be the healthiest of America? Why don't I prove that at this age, I actually can be as healthy as I was when I was 20. And I think if we all started thinking that way and believing that way, it would actually change the statistics and give other people permission to also embody these new beliefs instead of all sitting around and having the conversation while it's too late. <laughs> it's, it's over. 
So that's my hope. And I know that you're doing this work as well in terms of shifting these beliefs. I wanted to ask you, I wanted to just say your client, if it does what she's referencing, right? So shifting that internal reference for her of her not being able to make a change would also change the mindset. So working with the image too with her would be so great if she were to start to start seeing herself, how it could change, because that's the thing is she's created an image of herself that can't change. That's very static. And I bet you it's an image. It's not even moving in her mind. And if she were to start to then see herself working out and that her body could change, then she'd probably go, Oh yeah, that feel great. And I feel like everything that you said to her is absolutely correct. It's changing the mindset and changing the reference point. What am I referencing right now that's making me think this? You know, the brain gets very pigeonholed. It likes to loop things. So we got to get out of the loop. And we often set things up for ourselves like, oh, that can't happen or it can't be this way or like, right? And it becomes static and it doesn't move. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And coming into that circumstance, I have so much love and compassion because I've been there, right? Like I've been in that circumstance so many times where I've held an image of myself and I'm like, I don't, I can't hear anything else. And I just put up blinders and push back. And then finally, I started to see other people who were living these healthy, beautiful lives and saying, wow, I'm just holding on and attaching myself to this image. It's not actually accurate. Yeah. And I have the power within me to shift that. And that was kind of my next question was, I know that you have this new technique that I wanted to share, or if you're comfortable sharing about self-image and and so forth. So I don't know if you could dive into that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were definitely have been talking about it all the way through about this self-image, about just bringing up the feeling of when you feel that way, how does it feel? And then seeing the you that feels that way and resourcing it, getting it there and trying it on in some different situations in which you had felt bad before. And so that's really helpful. And to change the internal, because there's always an internal reference point. Even if people say, oh, I'm not visual, it's always there. And it comes up like that. It comes up really fast. It's changing also what we're seeing in the future. So these things in combination are so powerful together. And they're things that everyone can do on their own, especially if you're in the pattern. It's great to just start interrupting it and start making these little shifts. One of the things that I like for just being present and shifting out of certain mindsets is to ask myself, what is it that I need to do in this moment? So if I'm thinking about the future and I'm thinking about this thing that might be stressful for me, if I think to myself, okay, what do I need to be doing right now? It might just be sending an email or going for a walk or having a glass of water, whatever it might be in that moment. It brings you into the present and it gives you another activity. When we say to our brain, oh, just be present, just be present, the brain doesn't know what to do with that. And when people use mantras, I do something called visual mantras with people where I give them, they take their original mantra that they've been using or we create something based on their languaging that they used in session and anyone can do this. And then you create a visual around that. So let's say your mantra is to be feeling good about yourself or feeling confident creating, I am confident in wherever I am, whomever I'm with. Let's just say that's your mantra. It's actually then creating a visual around that of you doing that in the future and can or cannot be in certain situations doing it. And then you can even get in there and try it on because that will bring you the feeling that you want right now, which is that confidence feeling. We store a lot of states in our brain. So the brain know we can switch to other neural networks and access other states. But if you think about going on vacation right now to a place that you've been, right? It shifts your whole state. If you think about the beach or you think about even a piece of chocolate cake, that's what you like. That puts you in a different state and you really want to change out of a negative state and into a positive state. But you can do that by thinking positive thought in most situations. What do I need right now? You know, what is that me that feels that way? What does she need or what does he need? been talking a lot about women, but I also have men clients that have food issues. Of course, men have issue around food. And I think women can be savvier about learning different, maybe because they might cook more or something like that, or it's just more, always more geared towards women. So maybe men might not have the information that they 
need about how to have a good diet or how to put things in balance. But just much as women have this issue, men definitely have it too. Yeah, a full agreement of that. Um, I think it's less talked about. I think I think both men and women, I noticed there is a lot of shame and guilt around it. But I think because women have been such mass marketed and social conditioning and so forth, we neglect or forget that a lot of men do have disordered eating and they're insecure and they have self-esteem issues and self-confidence. And I think it's really, really important. And one of my goals of this podcast is to start shifting that and sharing that this isn't men are not immune to these issues as well. And so I think it's a really important topic that we start to have. Yeah. And I think that another part of this with the, just back to the cravings for a minute, because I think this is a really important thing. A lot of times I notice around a woman's menstrual cycle, they'll go into binging patterns and they don't even realize it until I start talking to them about it. So that is something to look out for. Do you start doing this pattern when you feel bad, like a week before your menstrual cycle? You know, obviously men don't have that, so they don't have that issue, thank God. But even if it's not around that cycle, sometimes I would say, or even 50% of the time, from my experience, it could be from eating certain kinds of foods and not having the right diet can trigger, and I'm sure you know about this, can trigger cravings. So if you're not, like, let's say, not having protein in the morning, that could trigger a craving. If you're drinking too much caffeine or especially coffee, that can trigger the, those afternoon cravings at three or four o'clock. I mean, when people tell me if this starts at three or four o'clock, the first thing I ask them is how many coffees do you drink a day? So there's all these like little tricks and tips that you can do with food that can actually change your cravings. Even if you have a binging pattern that's been going, because actually this client that had gotten up at two in the morning was you know, binging, she wasn't eating properly through the day. She wasn't having the meals that she needed to have. And she wasn't having a lot of protein or the right kinds of protein. And part of it was switching the diet, her switching her diet and protein loading a bit more and having more green juices and things like that, more vegetables. So sometimes when we crave sugar and carbs, it's because we're not getting enough protein. And I know that you'll have more people on the show that are more experts in that, but that's just what I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed how when you're eating right that your cravings are just really different. Yeah, I find that people who eat nutrient-dense food have significant lower cravings. And often when we have cravings for the sugars and the carbs and the packaged food and so forth, it's our body signaling to us that we're depleting ourselves of the nutrition that we need. And so it's really profound if you think about it, that your body's actually speaking to you. It's just that your mind is choosing something based on old programming of what will solve that craving instead of actually listening intuitively to, wow, what if I gave myself a green juice? What if I ate throughout the day? What if I didn't avoid eating because I'm working so hard or because I'm stressed because of a project that's coming up? And what if I really started to take care of myself? Yeah. I believe that we do the simple things like eating clean food, sleeping seven to eight hours, meditating, mindfulness practices, breath work. Most of our cravings will dissolve. And some of them are based on the microbiome and other things and the physical side of it. But I feel like when we handle the emotional, the mental, the physical, as we start to integrate the new healthy foods, usually works itself out. So it's really profound. And I think we can no longer not think about the mind and the body that it's one and it's connected and viewing the body as this holistic experience that's happening all together and everything is impacting everything. So that's why I just absolutely love this work because it's so, so profound in, in shifting the emotional and the mental side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's definitely true that like, it's so important to take every person, look at them differently, look at holistically, because it's not just for some people, it might be their diet or some people it might be emotional some people it might be a combination some people it might just be the way that they're referencing something or an event that happened in their life so everyone really is different and i think that we've been giving these cookie cutter solutions of like okay do this diet exercise this way and you're going to lose weight and then when people don't they're really frustrated with themselves because it might not be the right strategy for them that's why it is important to work with someone and so great to work with someone like you or me because we can really help them build new strategies that are flexible and that 
can work for them where they are in their life now, because what might have worked 10 years ago might not work now. I mean, there are definitely, when it comes to like diet, I mean, we know that gluten and sugar, and it can be an issue. And just by cutting those out, that can really change a lot. A little bit of movement can change everything. But if we're constantly thinking about ourselves in a negative way, that creates bad chemicals. And then we're constantly showing ourselves the negative image of ourselves. That's like on a loop. Yeah. Yeah. Full agreement. I think it's so important. And that's why I think what I've seen, like Weight Watchers is moving to a meditation practices and moving mm-hmm. to it's like these huge corporations that have been selling the calories in versus calories out model for so long they're recognizing that it's not working anymore. And so they are making shifts, which I think is really, really profound. I'm really grateful for you being here. Thank you so much. If there's any like last words of advice or anything like that, I know we've gone way over, which I'm very grateful to <laughs> have you back. So that way we can answer more questions. If there's any last words of advice or anything like that, that you want yeah. to I would just say there's information, there's articles on my site with tips of things that you can do. I've written articles or people have done interviews that if people want further tips that they can check out, like there's a great article that Goop did. It was an interview and there's a lot of tips in there. There's Cosmopolitan and a Dutch Vogue article about eating patterns and shifts that it can make. There's another article on my site about past life regression from Elle magazine. So if people want to learn more about the work, they can go there and and also get some tips that they can use. Also, there's self-hypnosis on my technique on my website that people can go to and they can do it for themselves. It's all laid out pretty simply. And they're welcome to email me if they have questions about things. Email box is always open to people. And I do sessions in New York and LA and I go back and forth and then I see clients via video and do a lot of workshops. So I'm soon going to be starting to do some virtual workshops and working on a meditation record right now, which hopefully should be out later in the fall. And yeah, having more audio products that people can download. I love when to get feedback and then people email me and ask questions. And it's just so nice to hear what people think. Or yeah. I love, love interacting and getting questions and just, I think it helps us create content and really get a feel for like what people are struggling with and how we can help and support. What's your website? Just so that my website is just my name. So it's morganyakis.com. And my Instagram is mindwaves. It's mind underscore underscore wave. And I'm usually on Instagram and my email. So those are two ways, great ways to touch. And I, I post a lot of stuff on Instagram as well of like when I'm doing workshops and things like that. And I have a newsletter so people can sign up on my website for the newsletter. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. Thank so- you so much for having me. This is so, it's so fun. How often do you really get to talk about all this stuff in depth? I mean, I talk about pieces of it in workshops and with clients, but it's so nice to talk about it with you who's doing amazing work. And I just love everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. And we'll definitely do another one. Wow. I'm so grateful to Morgan for sharing her time with us today. We could have kept talking for hours. I've been doing this work for several years and I'm still blown away by all the avenues and channels in which there's opportunity for healing, not just for our bodies, but also for our minds. Because the truth is we all on some level need to break through the resistance and the story that says that healing is hard, challenging, and takes decades. Ultimately, what I've found is the belief in the process is what is most important. If you truly believe different healing modalities will work for you, there's a greater chance that they will show benefit. I've also discovered that the majority of doing the inner work is simply by being open to the healing that can take place. And then from that place, taking action from a new level of awareness. Because the truth is, you are worthy. You are lovable. You already have a wealth of happiness and health within you. The challenge I encourage you to take on this week is to simply allow yourself to operate from this belief that you are already worthy of health and happiness. And because you are worthy, it doesn't have to be hard to create this truth. Take some time this week to start to focus on simple yet profound ways your healing can take place instantly. What if you allowed yourself to have the aha moments and the moments that your awareness could truly shift instantly? 
Thank you for sharing this sacred time with me. And I'm here for you and your healing every step of the way. Until next time, my friends, I'm sending you so much love and gratitude that you're doing this work for you. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.